You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Exodus 20, verse 13. And it says simply this, you shall not murder. That's our focal passage. Um, You guys can be seated, and the children can be dismissed to their classes, and Michael's going to take it from here. He wanted to give me time to get here, I think is what I'm... My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here of the village, and the one that gets to do this more often than not, so thanks for sitting under the word this morning with us. Um, For real, we're we're so glad that you're here. Just want to give a little preface. Last week, we talked about honoring father and mother, and with that, we know that uh, there comes some, some pain and difficulty, and, and something as simple as do not murder, it would be easy to dismiss that and think, ah, this doesn't really land with me, but know that, man, there are things in this that are, that are heavy and, um, and, and difficult. And so I want to pray and uh, just ask that you be mindful of those things as well uh, as we follow up in conversation this week and all of those things. Holy Spirit, would you do work that I can't do in my flesh? Um, would you make Jesus known today? Would you satisfy our hearts as, as Matt um, led us to pray? Would, would you be the satisfaction above all other things in our life today? And God, may we do all of this and, and all that we get to do in our singing and our praying and our being and as we go uh, on, on your mission to love others in a way that reflects the love that you have for us. And we do that to the glory of the Father by, by the, the work and the power of the Spirit through the grace that we have in Christ alone. Amen. Um, James Hutchinson. You, you may have heard a story, and I won't go into all the details, but this little six-year-old boy, cute as a button, um, he lost his life in, in brutal fashion recently. And... Again, uh, I won't comment on the, the court case or any of those things, but all indication is that it was at the hand of his mother who, who took him to a park to leave him there. And as he tried to get into the car, Mom, don't leave, she ran over him, went home, came back sometime later, picked up his lifeless body, later on took him to the, uh, a bridge uh, over the Ohio River and threw him in the river. And so I've been in a couple rooms this week and, and a couple dialogues uh, around that, and, and whenever that has come up, the, the response is the same. Uh, why on earth? How on earth is it possible? What would, would make her think that she could, or, or how selfish could someone be? You get the idea. That's one of the more recent uh, of many um, murders that you may have heard of, but, but you may have heard of another um, from a time gone by. There was this uh, two brothers, Cain and Abel. Um, Cain, he, he offered God some leftover veggies, and, and God did not accept his, uh, his sacrifice. And his brother Abel, who was a shepherd, he, he offered him the best of his flock, and and God preferred Abel's uh, sacrifice. And, and Cain wasn't very happy about that. And, and God had an interaction with him. And he says this in Genesis 4. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. 
The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. That's what he says. And he says, its desire is against you, but you must rule over it. Well, thanks be to God that, that we have one who does rule over sin. But, but Cain, Cain did not rule over his sin. In, in fact, he, it, it, the Bible says he had a conversation, and so it kind of alludes that he drew his brother out into a field, and he attacked him, and he overtook him, and he, and he killed him. Cain killed Abel. Uh, that is the first murder in, in history that we have recorded in the scriptures. And, and then there's this interaction with God. He says, where's your brother? And, and then he says this thing, am I, am I my brother's keeper? Which you may have said being a smart aleck, right, to your parent, right? Uh, I'm, I'm not my brother's keeper. That's not something, uh, Cain is not someone that you want to imitate, right? And so, so, so he says, uh, what God says to him, he says, is the blood of your brother cries from the ground. Like, I know what you did, right? So murder is usually considered like the worst of the worst regarding crimes against humanity. And, and understandably, uh, very few civilizations like zero civilizations throughout all time affirm murder as like a really good thing to do to one another. In fact, if they did, they wouldn't be civilizations very long, right? They, they would self-eliminate, and so uh, life is the most precious resource of all. It is the most fundamental and basic of all rights. No matter the authority, most agree um, that everyone has the right to live. Now culture, it erodes when the standard shifts towards determining who is a person in full. And some determine different rights, and some decide to step into places that they don't belong, which is, which is why it's fitting that God, the, the author of life, spells out uh, in no uncertain terms who matters, and, and he establishes his, his people around this rule of life that, that we shouldn't murder. And so the, the main idea today is, is murder takes authority man doesn't have to carry out judgments he can't make, right? Murder takes authority that, that humanity doesn't have to carry out judgments that, that, that he or she cannot make. And so we're trekking along in Exodus, and we, and we saw God's rescue of his people from the hand of Egypt, and then we, we see them invite him in, and they have uh, a moment on the holy mountain. And he shows up in, in fire and, and lightning and, and thunder and all these things, and he says, be my people. And they said, we will be your people. And he says, these are the terms of our agreement to be in relationship with one another. And they said, we will do those things. And so he, he gives them tablets made of stone with these 10 words on them. And, and we've seen the first few were, were vertical. And, and it's what it looks like for God's people to, to walk in a way with him. And then now we begin to see them go out uh, to the community at, at large, the horizontal relationships. Um, and so this is just four words, and so you might be saying, shortest sermon ever. But remember, last week there were only two points, so today there are four points. And this four, uh, one point for each word, all right? Um, really, I just want to answer four really simple questions. And, and this is what the questions are. What is murder? What is the motive for murder? What is the heart behind murder? And what is our hope against murder? 
murder. The first one is this, what is murder? What does it mean to murder another? See, see this word murder, it's different from just killing. That would be quite different. Uh, but, but it's different from killing. The word here is, is one of eight or so that describe the taking of life. Now, some translations say, thou shalt not kill, but, but then that like, kind of changes everything. And so that, that word for kill is really, really important. Uh, the, the word is a little unique. It is not the word that's used to describe the execution of a death sentence. It is not the word that's, that's used to describe the killing a soldier does in a, a military combat situation. Uh, it is not the word that's used to describe killing to prevent death uh, of another. It's not the word that's, that's used to describe hunting or killing animals. And I'm not speaking to any of those things uh, specifically today. I'm, I'm just saying that this word is not those things. So, so kind of some definition and commentary maybe that's helpful. Murder is the unjust killing of the innocent. Murder is the unlawful killing of a human being. Murder is the, the unjust taking of an innocent life. Martin Luther says it this way, We should fear and love God so much that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and support him in his every physical need. See, he turns that to be a positive. It's not just telling us not to do something, but it's, but it's inviting us to do something, right? So in a just society, uh, that's a gray area, slippery slope for sure, but in a just society, that shows up in two ways, inaction and action. So, so we know what action looks like as it re- relates to murder. That's vigilante revenge. That's, that's road rage killing. That's, that's suicide, infanticide, abortion, you know, like what we would describe as, as murder. The, the unjust taking of an innocent life. But it also happens through inaction. And the Bible actually talks about that in lots of ways as it teases out what it means to be a community that doesn't Murder, And so there are some specific rules, and some of those are about what we've already hit on these. Some of these are about like building codes and, and making sure that you have guardrails up. And we think that's modern stuff, but, but God establishes his people with, with like some of those same regulations. And so in our modern culture, we would call that like negligent homicide, right? And we're all familiar with that. Maybe that's, that's uh, drunk driving. Maybe that's a parent that leaves their child in a car uh, in the hot summer, and we see those things every summer, and they're tough and difficult. What we begin to see is that, that the ten words on these tablets of stone really are a baseline which all of the other laws flow from and flow to. And ultimately, what they build out is love God, love your neighbor. But then if we zoom out a little bit more, we have these 10 helping us see what that looks like. And then as we zoom out even further, when we read through the Old Testament, we see what's affirmed in the New Testament. We see God building into his covenant people what it looks like to love him and to love others. So do not commit murder is a minimum requirement for Israel's uh, covenant community with God. It is certainly not the entire path for maximum God glory. So if you sit there today and you say, I'm not doing that, 
I'm nailing it, right? And we could look at this list of rules that we'll look at over the next month or so, and, and you could say, man, like, by all means, like, I'm killing it, all right? Not others, but it. And, and what we see is that, that that is the baseline. That is not the hope in full, all right? I think we'll get there. So simple things can get complicated. And, and look, to be fair, I'm, I'm not making light. Uh, I'm not assuming that you've not been on the giving or receiving end of murder. Now, I know if you're sitting here, you've not been murdered. I know that for a fact. But I also know that, that life is hard and life is broken. And man, I'm not minimizing your past, your situation, what you've gone through, what you've had to deal with, people in your family, right? And so this, this probably hits closer to home on the surface than it does uh, some, some than others. And so, so not murdering is deeper than just not killing people unjustly. And God has already, even at this point, he's already talked about what it is to murder in Genesis 9. I want to read this. Um, he says, Every moving thing that lives shall be for food. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. Not a good thing when God is requiring a reckoning, right? You don't want to be on the a receiving end of a reckoning from God. He says, from every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning. He's pretty emphatic about the word, right? reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. Which we get to the heart of this, that God's not a fan of murder because humanity is made in his image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply. So he says, multiply my image bearers, do not subtract or divide them, right? So God will set up human systems of governance to carry out his justice, right? He will do that to carry out his judgment and, and his law, but, but clearly we see that God is not a fan of murder. And, and when we understand what murder is, it begins to show us why God opposes it. Humans are the crown of his creation. Of no other has he said, let us make creation in his image, in our image, apart from man. So murder says, I have the right to decide which reflection of God's, of God's image dies. That's what murder says. And, and when, we see, uh, when, when we see what murder is, we can wonder why God would have to even say that to begin with, let alone tease it out. And yet, in this country, the United States of America, this great country in which we live, not perfect, but, but we have an okay life in terms of the civilizations that have existed on this earth, all right? Um, and, and so... 20,000 people a year are murdered in this country alone. How can, that, how can that be? And what's left behind? Pain of those who, who no longer have their loved one and confusion and lost memories and, and frustration and injustice. Right? So, so we look at what murder is and, and now we want to look at the motive for murder. What is the motive for murder? How does this 
happen? Well, isn't this the question that detectives have to prove in order to, uh, to, to close the case? They have to figure out not only who did what, but why they did it. And in fact, often if they can figure out a motive before all of the other things, they can chase that down. Oh, this person changed a life insurance policy. We've seen that a million times. They changed a life insurance policy three weeks before the person mysteriously died. And so the detective's like, wait, hold on, huh? And so they they would obviously go there first and figure out if the evidence kind of proves what their uh, working theory is. So... So if I were to ask you, why do people murder? I'm sure you would say things like uh, anger and jealousy and lust and greed and, and negligence. All right, that happens in there. And, and callousness of heart, just not caring about things. Convenience. We see those things a lot. Um, there is an intrigue in our culture with murder and true crime. It's like a big deal. Uh, podcasts and documentaries and all the things and it's like people just can't get enough of hearing stories right and and now I listen to some of that stuff and and when you say well why would you do that and and I say well I don't love murder and I don't love death I love justice right and so as we kind of figure out why people do what they do there there are shows like the oxygen network I'm pretty sure they say like we're just the true crime network now. I, I think that that's legit what they do. And and there's this show on any time of any day called Snapped and all it does is it tell like husband and wife or or broken relationship where one kills the other. Just 24/7. One uh, article I read this week uh, it was talking about a little bit around this stuff. It says, while the motives behind discrete crimes can be difficult at first to determine, investigators and psychologists generally agree that most often the why can be boiled down to, in essence, three or four possible. And, and there was some dis, uh, kind of debate around this, but really this lust, love, loathing, or loot. And we love the alliteration, right? But lust, love, loathing, or loot, that, that's why things happen. And this isn't like a um, psychology of murder that I'm giving you today. I'm just giving you some background, right? Former FBI profiler says this, While the most basic immediate why of a murder can often quickly be determined, deeper motivations, what actually pushed the person over the line into violence, they are not so easy to parse. But finding a motive for murder does not go far enough to explain murder. Most people experience lust, love, loathing, and seek loot in the sense of wishing to be free from financial concerns. However, the vast majority of people do not commit murder. Well, James the half-brother of Jesus uh, in the New Testament. He was one of the leaders of the, of the early church in Jerusalem. He says it this way. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. It's pretty basic. You want something that you can't get, so you murder. So there are matters of the heart flowing to the hand. So, so we see what murder is and, and maybe why 
people might murder, but what is underneath that, right? What is the heart behind murder? This is the third thing. When we look at the heart behind something, um, what, what those words mean is we're searching even deeper than, than like what a trial lawyer will pose to the jury. Okay, lust, love, loathing, or loot, and that might be enough to get a conviction. But what's, what's under the surface sparking those motives that, that ultimately lead to action? Uh, check out this picture. I want to show you a couple pictures here real quick. That right there is a pretty cool place, right? Um, one more. See that? That is, that's my, my parents' backyard. That's, that was my backyard growing up. Um, Mom, I don't know if you're listening, but hey, this is your backyard on TV. Um, so I live on Main Street now. My backyard, it looks slightly different than that. Um, but here's the thing, like, that is, that's beautiful. And I remember as a kid, when the, when the fall came and there would be leaves coming and they'd be flowing on the creek, Right? would be in the back, and, and you would see them, and you would expect the leaves to go just along with the creek. But what would happen is there was this, this, uh, this turn in the creek, a meander. That's the technical term, right? And, and it, would, it would bend to the right, and what would happen is the leaves would actually dip out to the left, and they would just circle, and they would spin there, right? It's kind of a little, little pool of, uh, of leaves would establish, and they would just begin to spin. And now that's really easy to understand. We see that the current's taking them there. All right, the leaves are on top. Why are the leaves on top? Well, because the current is taking them there. But here's the question. The heart of the issue is, why is the current taking them there? And so as I'm a kid and hang out with my brother or friends or whatever, we would begin, we would move rocks all over, and we would actually reshape the landscape so that the leaves might go another way and so that the, so that the, the, the underlying terrain would change the current which would change what happens to the leaves. And when I'm talking about murder in layers, it's the same way. Murder is on the surface. It is leaves on top of a river. But why, why are the leaves moving as they are? Well, that's because the current. And that's the motive in the moment. That's why someone is doing what they are doing. Why are they doing what they're doing? Well, that's because of the landscape underneath the current. That's the stuff that's going on. So when we search for the heart, it's literally moving the clay in a way that leads to the leaves pulling to the left, all right? Um, murder stems from an incredible misunderstanding of authority. It's like the, the clay foundation. Murder stems from an incredible misunderstanding of authority, a, a deep overestimation of one's own ability to make judgments that they can't make, that, that we are not able to make, that we don't have the right or the authority to make. Murder attacks the authority of life and death. That's what murder does. And, and what it does, as we do many times with many things, and the, the Bible's pretty clear that we replace God with ourselves. Or we exchange God with, with created things, often ourself. We replace God alone as the one who has the right to determine life and death. And we put man alone in place. So we say murder takes authority man doesn't have to carry out judgments he can't make. Or, as one line from the 1986 uh, movie Top Gun your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. That's what murder does. 
like, like from, a, from a heart level. Murder undervalues God's authority. That, that is the clay beneath the current. And it overvalues our own ability to, to make the judgment of worthiness to live. And again, it's a slippery slope. And, and uh, as we said, that, that we, uh, at the beginning of this kind of sub-series to the Ten Commandments, we said that, that the masses don't determine morality. God does through his word. And, and this is never more true than, than now in this slippery slope of cultural morality or immorality where we swerve left and we swerve right. We begin to shade margins of life in gray. The elderly who no longer contribute in ways that benefit society. And so we, we make, in some states, literally make it okay to diffuse and diminish and take life. The, the uh, other side of that, the unborn, because we don't want them, we say, well, they, they're, not, uh, they're, they're not God's creation. They're not yet living. And so we can dismiss them for convenience or, or many other reasons. Those with disabilities. And so we now we have tests that people can, can take while the baby is in uh, the woman's body and determine if they are worthy to receive the gift of of life outside of the body. We have the poor and powerless facing injustice that leads to murder. We have the immigrant where we decide what, what it, and look, these aren't political statements. It's the value of life, and we can talk policy offline in another context. But you see how these things happen. Uh, injustice that diminishes life, and we have literally in this country that we live in legalized murder. And so the question is, well, are those things okay? Well, we get to submit to God alone first. All of those things are a failure to acknowledge God. And, And in particular, a failure to acknowledge the authority that God has in life and in death. See, there's a whole lot of confusion, and there's a whole lot of tension, even within the church, around uh, this idea of God being sovereign. And you're not going to find that word in the scriptures, but you will find the concept uh, on nearly every page. And what it means to be sovereign is supreme ruler, possessing supreme ultimate power. And where we sit as the village church, right, uh, and, and as the elders Uh, explaining and expressing the doctrine of who we are, we land that God is sovereign in all things. And we know that if you're a part of this family, you might have disagreement uh, in unity around the extent of of which that that shows up. But for us, God is sovereign over all things. He's sovereign in salvation. He saves through his unmerited grace and mercy alone. What we see in the scriptures is, is no one can come to him, but he goes to them. But it doesn't stop there. God is sovereign in all things. Job says it this way. He gives and he takes away. And and Job said, naked I came and naked I shall return. And he was saying that as an act of submission and worship to a God who he uh, acknowledged allowed his life to crumble around him. He lost his children. He lost everything that he had. And yet his posture of heart was God gives and God takes away. 
See, God isn't the only agent acting upon creation, but he has the final say no matter what, and he works all things for the good of those who love him. And so he asks questions like, how can suffering be good? And look, there are things that I just, I, I can't answer for you in that. But what I do know is because God knows best beginning to end, you've never experienced anything in life outside of the hand of God to accomplish his eternal will. Now, I know that comes with, with, with pain and confusion and difficulty, right? And, and, and what I encourage you to do is if you say, that's, that's not right, and if you, if you begin to say things like, I would never serve a God who would, right, based on anything that I just said. Man, we can fight about that. But my encouragement is just seek the scriptures. And just see what God has to say about these words that just came out of my mouth. Right? We, we want to interact around these things. And I know that there are difficulties around them. But, but God makes and he takes every single day. And sometimes when things happen out of what we think is, is okay or out of the norm, we say, well, how can that be? But here's the reality. God makes and he takes every single day. No other way someone lives today or, or there is no other way that someone ceases to live today but by God. Now, I know for some that's striking fear in you. And for some of you, you would say uh, that makes me uncomfortable. And some of you, it's, that's confusing or frustrating uh, and, and for some of you, it would be the greatest comfort that you've ever beheld. That nothing happens outside of the hands of God. That on your darkest day, God is not unaware of you. That on your greatest day, he is not unaware of you. And it looks like this, that, that our only hope in life and death is that we are not our own, but we belong to him The Bible teaches that, that not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the Father, and even the hairs on your head are numbered. God, God never, something, uh, no, nothing ever happens where God says, oh gosh, what am I going to do? I didn't, I didn't see that coming. And that's true in the life of Job. And again, there is confusion, and it's really tough, but we get to rest in the goodness of God 140 million births this year worldwide, roughly. 55 million deaths worldwide. That means that since I began talking, uh, since, since I said, hey, all, my name is Michael, um, there were uh, nearly 6,000 deaths around the world. And, and what makes God God is he gives and he takes. God is creator of everyone, and he is creator of everything. Nothing comes into this life apart from him, and nothing leaves this life apart from his hand. And so there are questions, sure, and we get to submit all of this in humility, sure. And, and we, we get to say, was it his active will or his passive will? Is, is he orchestrating or is he allowing? And, and we may acknowledge the freedom of, of human will and sin's work and Satan and his demons work, but make no mistake, nothing is off of God's radar, including life existing or ceasing to exist on this earth. He is the author and he is the sustainer of life. Think about this, the word author. Like who has supreme reign of a book that they might write? The author. 
Not only you can say publisher, okay, I get you. But the author writes things into being, right? No character looks back at the author and says, here's what you're going to do. That doesn't happen. And if you're a writer, okay, you might say, no, that actually, I feel that, though. Like, there are things that, but I think the saying is true that the author dictates the terms. And look, the word authority is the same as the root word author. And the word authority is, is power or right to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience, having control in a particular sphere. And I'll blaze through a bunch of passages that talk about God as the, the author of life in Nehemiah 9. Um, he says this, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens. Uh, and he goes on, you give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before you. Colossians 1, for by him, this is talking about Jesus, by him all things were created both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. In him all things hold together. And then on the flip, he is the beginning, but he's also the end of all things. As my British friend would say, 1 Sam, right? 1 Samuel 2, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. He makes the poor and he makes the rich. He brings low and he exalts. Psalm 139, your eyes saw my unformed substance. This is David. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's David submitting to the authority of God to have his life from before he was conceived to after he leaves this earth. Job, since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Look, Jesus doesn't come along and undo or even add to the law. People think that he does. And they say, well, in the Old Testament, but then Jesus, right? Jesus came to fulfill the law. That's what he said, not to abolish. But, but he, 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 he brings to fullness clarity to what God already built out. Right? It's, it's refinement through details. And, and he gets to the level of matters of the heart. Not just the, this is the, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is it was the law externally, and it was all by faith for sure, but it was the law externally showing God's people what love up and love, love out looked like. But then Jesus come along and, and he says, man, all of this stuff happens from the inside out. And you're incapable by your own merit to just see these things through. Something has to change in you. And this is what he says in Matthew 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. And again, we would all sit here and say, of course. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And we sit there and we see what Jesus is doing. Murder is leaves on a stream. 
But the problem is the contour of the clay under the current. That's what he says of, of us. And then he goes on, and look at this connection that he makes. It, does, it, it doesn't make sense until it, it makes perfect sense. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, for us, if you stand up and, and lift your hands and sing songs of worship to God, if we come up at the end of this gathering and take communion to remember and declare Christ's blood spilt and body broken for us, so if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. In the context of murder, he, he suddenly shows, is there a difference between being angry with someone and, and taking their life? Sure. Sure there is. Right, that, that's obvious. We, we know that. But, but finally, we get to the essence. The, the clay beneath the current moving the leaves. We're all murderers. That's so what Jesus is showing us, that we're all murderers when we have hatred in our hearts, when we dismiss, devalue human life, when we take authority in places that, that isn't ours, when we are unjustly angry, when we insult, when we consider God's image bearers as fools. When we have unreconciled horizontal relationships, he says, first reconcile, then offer gifts of worship. So when we hate, our worship is affected. Murder in hand or in heart is a primarily a worship problem. Hatred is a worship problem. And look, this is not to say that you don't have fractured relationships that you've sought to reconcile. Right? But, but what it is to say is if you have a hardness of heart on your end without a desire to reconcile, in wisdom, knowing that relationships are very difficult, if you have hardness of heart without the, the, the desire to reconcile, then your worship is not accepted in full. So the fullness of the command, do not murder, as he builds his covenant people, is if you got beef with someone in the room, go make it right so that you can worship me purely and in, in fullness of heart. We get to sit in that and, and we can hear a heinous story of a, of a murderer and think, oh gosh, I'm, I'm glad that I don't have blood on my hands and I'm not culpable or even close to sitting in, in that courtroom as sinner. And we can say, ah, oh, that's fair. But, but when you can't stomach the voice of a person, of a people group, of a worldview, of a religion, of a political party, of a movement, of, a, of an enemy, of a, of a race, of a nation, of a type, of a team, of an affiliation to the point at which you hate them for being them, make no mistake, you have overstepped your bounds and have murder in your heart. No, it's different than saying, who, who here has killed someone? And, and the, the heart of this is the value of human life. And the heart of that is, God is the one who gives, and God is the one who takes. So what is our hope against murder? All of this seems like bad news. 
for others, for us, for, for anyone who has insulted another or, or taken their life, and it is bad news. But we have good news in spite of it all. And the good news that we talk about regularly is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus. Let me show you a picture. Uh, right there, you see that? That's my kid, Ireland, in first grade. That's a coaster that she made, and that sits on our kind of coffee table area. And so every day, legit, for what, years? She's in sixth grade, five years Literally see that thing every single day. And every, every day, you know what? I look at, I love you because, why? Because you love me. It's a Mother's Day gift, right? And so I look at that and I say, gosh, that just proclaims the gospel, doesn't it? Right? Proud father. Gosh, in first grade, she really had it figured out, didn't she? <laughs> this week, we're going to soccer practice. And I said, hey, um, you know that coaster that's on our thing? Like, wh- what happened that day? Like, how? Ha- you said that, uh, that I love you to your mom because you love me, and that is, like, super sweet. What, what happened? And, and this is what she says. She said, well, um, I was one of the last ones to go. And, well, that's true, that, that I do love you and mom because you love me. I wanted to say something else. And I said, well, what did you want to say? She said, I wanted to say, well, I, di- I didn't have time, and this one was already there, and so we could just take one. Well, what did you want to say? Well, I wanted to say, I love you because you let me wear pants with holes in them. <laughs> but I'd already had this in my notes, and so I wasn't going to leave it out. So, so uh, disregard that last part about the pants with holes in them. And just look at that, though. I love you because you love me. Like, that's, that's the thing. That's a sweet picture of the gospel, and it's not the whole story of this coaster, but, but it is our story in Christ. The coaster proclaims bold truth. Our love for God flows from his love for us, and not vice versa. God doesn't love you because you love him. You love him because he first loved you. There's no way around that. What a gift. What a sweet thing. God's love for us changes the landscape of our heart to lead to different currents of the heart which flow to different ends. And he says this, remember, do not murder. And he takes that and he says, uh, make sure that you fix your horizontal relationship. That's the, the commentary that Jesus puts on that text. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about how Jesus does this for us. And this is what he says, that is... In Christ, God was reconciling. When you see that word, I just always do this. It's two things that were, that were together and then broken and then brought back together. In that, uh, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them, and entrusting then to us the message of reconciliation. Fix this and, and then... Go and fix this, one to another. Fix our relationship with God on Christ's behalf, and then go and and show people how they too might be brought into a right relationship with God by doing that to one another. And he says, go therefore and be ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The greater worship is restoring relationships that reflect God's nature towards us. 
For as long as we live in this life, broken as it is, sinful humanity will continue, I'm just guessing, to continue to to murder and, and, and hate and disregard one life for another because of our miss on the giver and the taker of life. But because Jesus steps towards us, his enemy... Not while we, were, while we were tight and not while we were doing all the right things. Not while we were loving one another. But, but while we were enemies, Christ laid down his life for us. He steps towards us, which lets us begin living a life that, that, that not only doesn't murder in the flesh, but also doesn't disregard human life. It doesn't minimize. It doesn't dismiss. We receive love so that we might then give love. And this changes how we see others, not as mere just annoyances throughout the day and frustrations and obstacles in the way of our greed or our lust or our power, but as others who we get to love because Christ first loved us. Here's what Jesus did. He took on death that we might live a life of love. That's do not murder Now and forever. And you know what his offer is? Eternal life. And that doesn't begin sometime in the future. When he, when he descends once again. It begins today. Eternal life. Life in the fullest. Because of our life in Christ. So, so the cross, when Jesus took on the cross, it isn't just for the angry or the murderer uh, or the hater, but even for those who have been hurt by injustice in this life, the cross brings justice to those who murder by seeing to it that justice will roll down. An eternity forward, through hell and judgment, or through the life of Christ on the cross. What he secures for us, no matter what happens in this life, is life that's eternal with him. And so for James Hutchinson and his mom, the gospel offers the same hope to both that justice will be served or it has been served. There's no pain of loss so insufferable that it won't be redeemed. There's no pain of unjust loss or pain of loss out of neglect or pain so inward and deep that you don't find value in your own life. That God doesn't want to redeem in us in loss. He offers victory in death. He offers life in hopelessness, blinding hope and crippling weight. He offers his burden, which is easy. So from the blood of our hands, murder, hatred, and all the other things that flow from that wicked heart flows the precious blood of Christ who walked the path of death to give us the path of life. The band can come on up. Point to three things as they're coming up, just like quick hitters, helpful things for us. So what does any of this mean? Man, we don't get to celebrate death. Any of it. And I get justice and all the things. We don't get to celebrate the death of an image bearer. There was one whose death we get to celebrate, who died on a Friday, the darkest day in the history of the church. And today we call that Good Friday. Because he laid down his life to give us life. Second, submit to the one who holds life in his hands. And third, we get to promote life by living a life of love, beginning now. And as long as God would let us live on this earth, 
and we get to respond. We get to trust God today, and we get to wrestle with the tough truths. We get to pray to him. There's a prayer bench over there you can hang out at and pray by yourself. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up and, and sing. You can pray with one of us by one of these red trees, uh, one over there or one over there. And if you're in Christ, man, we get to remember and declare his body broken and blood spilled by taking communion. If you're not in him, this is not for you. This is for God's people. And if you, if you have questions about what it looks like to be part of God's family, we would love to chat with you. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much for these people that we get to come together and we get to sing songs to you and about you and we get to sit under your word. Holy Spirit, would you do work that, that my words never could? Would you bring these truths to bear in our hearts? We love you and we need you in Jesus' name.